Spoor, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers. Presented by Spitfire Audio. I'm Kenny Holmes. Well, that's interesting. I, I think you're expecting me to say I'm Robert Kraft, and I will. I wasn't entirely prepared, but I am now ready to say we are Score the Podcast, and we are so excited to have this episode's going to blaze. I know. We're, I feel like we're setting the bar now that like every episode's going to have two guests. We can't guarantee that, but it's a lot of fun, and there's a lot, uh, there's a lot going on in these double episode guests. Yep. Uh, say good morning to composer Carol. Good morning. Is your camera working out all right, Carol? I know you were having some camera issues. It should be, right? Yeah, it looks it good now. It should be, but your plants look nice. Everything you got your records on the wall there. They make me happy. You put your records on, Carol. Here's my self quiz. Is that an E? F. Nope. F sharp. Okay. Let's keep moving <laughs> what, because why I have. Are we doing this? I have okay. to work Stop. hard on my. Do pitch. you do this every day? Every day, I ask Carol if I'm in tune. And every day I'm slightly out of tune. So that's all we have for you. Good episode. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, No, we have a jam-packed show. We have two guests uh, kicking things off with um, another rock star, Isabella Summers, a.k.a. The Machine of Florence and the Machine, um, who has recently gone into the scoring world and is just, as Robert would say, having a moment. Yeah, crushing it. I think there's four it, shows uh, on right now as a composer, yeah. and can't wait to talk to her. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. She's joining us from London, and then uh, followed up by Oscar-winning composer Elliot Goldenthal, who has just a legend, a laundry list of huge movies, and he is a legend in the business. And um, we've been wanting to get him on, and he's. An East Coast guy, so everybody, uh, we're doing math here with our time zones, and um, we're making this all work out, and uh, we're very excited to bring those guests to you. Before we get to them, though, we want to take a moment, as always, to thank our sponsor, Spitfire Audio, maker of orchestral sample libraries for film composers. Whether you're just starting out or a seasoned professional, Spitfire has so many sounds you will love. Yeah, every month. A cool thing, and I'd like to say, yeah, which is a very formal way to start this. They release a new library in their free lab series, and you can get an entire orchestra for free in the form of their BBC Symphony Orchestra Discover Edition. I got it. And it doesn't include that siren I just heard, whatever that was. Well, that siren is, they're coming for me, so we got to go quick. (laughs) Uh, At the end of this episode, you're going to hear a demo from another one of their terrific packages. This uh, cue will be from the Spitfire Symphonic Strings Professional Package, the ultimate symphonic strings for the definitive blockbuster sound captured at Air Studios London, which we featured in the documentary and have talked about many times on this show. Uh, and featuring an incredible array of articulations and mics. They really know just, what they're doing at air with the mics. Man, and how about Spitfire with a symphonic strings professional package? I mean, what an asset for a composer. And the best part of it, score the podcast listeners save 25% off their first purchase of any Spitfire audio product. Huge. The promo code SCORE. 2021. 
you better be using that code. We talk about it. These episodes live on, but the code doesn't last forever. So get on there. If you're a first-time user of Spitfire, this is your chance to save 25%. Score 2021. And then again, at the end of the show today, we're going to play you a cue from the Spitfire Symphonic Strings Professional Package, which you can save 25% on if you like what you're hearing. Uh, All right, let's get to it. Um, Before we get to our uh, first guest, the Emmy nominations are out. Hollywood is a buzz. Um, we are going to, we, we're not going to do it on this show because we have two guests and, and a lot to get to, but, uh, head over to more score because we're breaking down the nominees. We're making predictions. Robert, you have a bold prediction here. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how it's going to play out, but, um, I'm interested to see what happens, uh, after the Emmys actually get handed out. And um, Matt Schrader will be joining us as well uh, over on More Score. If you haven't joined yet, patreon.com slash More Score. Exclusive interviews, merchandise, and uh, stuff that you won't get here on Score the Podcast. And then again, we always like to mention that when this season of Score the Podcast ends, More Score does not. So it's a year-round show. So Come on for the ride. It's a lot of fun, and um, we're going to be getting into a bunch of stuff. You you recently talked with uh, Alan Meyerson, um, yeah. which can you share a little bit with our audience who, if they haven't checked that out yet, what 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 should we know about Alan Meyerson that they should go check out? I would say that probably two thirds of the motion picture scores that you've heard in the last twenty five years have been recorded and mixed by Alan Meyerson. I don't think I have to say any more. He's probably the top recording and mixing engineer for motion picture music on the planet and also a really great guy and a great friend. So I had a ball talking to him. Yeah, he's worked with everybody. I'm sure everybody. that the stories are just everybody. endless. Um, so uh, Alan Meyerson and then uh, Peter Rotter. Yeah, Peter's also great. And these are... This really fills in the kind of portfolio of what any film music fan, film music professional needs to know. Alan Meyerson, you need to know who that is. Peter Rotter, he will book your sessions. He will get the musicians for you. He will make sure you're on budget and on time. And I had a great talk with Peter just about his history and about what it's like during the pandemic and now post-pandemic to put orchestra dates together. So yeah, check that out. Patreon.com slash more score. There's video as well. So you can watch it at home or you can listen to it in the car or however you uh, get us. Same thing with score the podcast. Now Um, hope you're checking us out on YouTube. All the shows are uh, up on video as well. And we have all those links on our social media pages that you can uh, go check out. So I think uh, let's get to it. Let's just make it official. Joining us now, she's an Emmy and Grammy-nominated recording artist, songwriter, composer. She's displaying herself like she's on The Price is Right right now. And you know her music from hit shows like Little Fires Everywhere, Panic, Riviera, and Physical. And of course, she's the machine from Florence and the Machine. We're so excited to have Isabella Summers joining the show today. Isabella... How are you? That was quite an introduction. Thank you, Kenny. I've literally waited my whole life for somebody to reel all the things off that I've done that are successful. Thank you. <laughs> um, that made me feel better about today. Um, no, today's been awesome. Um, I'm really good, thank you. That 
that yeah god i did all those things guys yes <laughs> i mean oh robert we can't hear you can we robert you're muted tell hello you're so much excited better, much better he's pushing buttons um can you hear me now we can yes. yes isabella i was asking where are you right now are you in london i'm in london for my How lovely do you know what it is it it really is it's pouring with rain and uh um, really and it's like i mean the heavens are hysterical i like to say <laughs> <laughs> and like they are just literally pouring down and the wind is blowing and it's just like it's really nice it's really nice to be now inside. are you are you always this energetic or is it because it's the afternoon because it's it's morning for us do you know what I've, I've kind of been in a bit of a funk today well no no i had a really great meeting at lunchtime then then i had the afternoon lol and now you guys are picking me up back up again we're going to we're going to pick your spirits up we have been known people actually carry us other places to just make sure that we yeah it's a bit ridiculous and i can tell you i don't know <laughs> if this is good or bad news we are suffering through it's dropped down from 72 to 71 in los angeles today fahrenheit so we saw one cloud about an hour ago so <laughs> things here are a little also a little testy do you know when oh. we gave the Thank introduction <laughs> to Isabella, we left something out, which I read last night, which is kind of, in addition to everything else, there was this sentence that said, she also discovered <laughs> Jeremy O. Harris. And I thought, I thought, well, that's, that's very really casual. She's, you know, that's she's really funny. I don't know why it says that on my Wikipedia. And I, say, I reckon I say that to somebody about once a week. I'm like, why does it say that on my Wikipedia? Can we take that off? But I nobody think you should take full credit for it. We are in Hollywood after all, but he's for those who don't know, as significant a playwright as exists on the planet right now. He yeah. has that new picture Zola. Which yeah. is getting all that attention. He's Jeremy, about to you're getting a plug here. Oh my yes. god. <laughs> and what I'm wondering actually is why aren't you scoring Zola and the you second can question. Of That's a Let's let's talk. Great about, questions. Let's get to Jeremy. Let's see if we can get him on this. But I think, yeah. Thank you. No, Jeremy. Jeremy and I, we will work together. We've got some things coming coming I out. Hope so. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he's he's in his own world right now. But that's okay. So am I. So yes. we'll you know, it will happen. You are having what we call a moment. I mean, I, I, you're, I, are you aware I of conjured your, it. your name is everywhere? That's great. Considering <laughs> that all the music industry ever said to me was post on Instagram. And I literally hate Instagram with every bone in my body. So I, I don't go on it really. And, and, uh, and I'm just so blessed to be in this moment where I, I'm getting to do like more and more amazing work. And like, you know, c constantly be of a certain standard um, and not have to push it through Instagram. So it's very nice to hear that. Thank you, Robert, because oh, that's, and what a that, that, it, it's not because of Instagram is what I'm saying. So, <laughs> yes, yay, high five. As you, <laughs> as you know, so many people in the music business, their first response when you mention artists is how many followers do oh. they have? 
you know, and it's... Well, yeah, I, I have a really amazing... Okay, well, we're on the score um, podcast, right? And I don't know if I'm going to be able to gra grab this quickly. But... Um, and I'm certainly not going to be able to say his name very well. But the guy who was responsible for the most pe epic piece of music in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Gaiorgi Liturgy. How do you say it? Yes, exactly. Is that, is that, how, I, is that how you <laughs> say gonna, it? We're going to go with that. Gaiorgi Ligeti. Yes, Ligeti. Oh, I've got a great Ligeti. I've got a great little quote. Um, about all of this. Oh, come on. Uh, he basically, uh, yeah. oh my God, I found Was it. he on Instagram? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's so good. He says, <clears throat> on being a composer, it matters a great deal to me that my work should be understood, but my prime concern is to put an idea in writing. My ideal is Cezanne, who just didn't care whether his paintings were exhibited or not. To do it, that's the main thing. Everything else, putting forward grand theories, gathering followers, becoming a guru, leaves me cold. And that's how In I conclusion, feel. he's not on Instagram. Is <laughs> basically yes. Or alive anymore, I'm going to say. Or in conclusion, I just read <laughs> how Picasso and Brock said, without Cezanne, they never would have existed. Wow. So, so... And that's so, the case. But Cezanne, Cezanne gets the next plug. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're right. We're going to actually be surrounding you today with artists that get a lot of attention. Ligeti, Dude. Cezanne, Jeremy O'Harris. And then at the end, we'll say yeah. thanks very much, Isabella, for joining us. No, I've got more. I've got, I've got a few other great people we could talk about. Oh, good. No, I'm just... I'm, How about you? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, here you're, we are. You're the guest today, Isa. Come on. We got to focus on your work so, today. Okay. Well, yes. I've done lots of it. Uh, our, our guest last uh, on our last episode was Mark Isham, and you came up. And we wow. were talking about Little Fires Everywhere and how yeah. he came on board with you, and it was the industry vet meets the the rookie the machine. In, in film composing. <laughs> the rookie. <laughs> the machine but but you but in terms of film composing this was your first go right it, it was little yeah fires everywhere and so it's so interesting because you're such a an established musician and artist and all of these things but then yeah. you come into this new world yeah and and you teamed up with mark isham what was that like working with mark a roller coaster it was really easy and really just lovely i you know have spent 14 years trying to get get here i suppose uh you know always trying to lean into cinema i wanted to be a director i went to art school and study film went to martins and so like and i would make these weird horror films for three years at art school and then make the weird soundtracks to them so like I, and i didn't really mean to be in a band that was a sort of accident <laughs> a happy accident we gotta and, hear like, how that, that is a fantastic reverse of what everyone <laughs> yeah. else says i was in a band i wanted to be in a band i wanted to be a rock star and i accidentally heard about so, film it, yeah. please tell us no the other way around <laughs> yes for me and well you know i i sort of grew up uh you know with an extremely eclectic family my father was a book dealer and um had you know rock and roll in his veins from you know an early hackney growing up in the 60s and Jimi Hendrix at the Roundhouse, and he was a huge Bob Dylan fan. 
And, and of course, Bob Dylan was known for being, is known for being, you know, having an amazingly eclectic music taste. So all of that Ouroboros of everything um, uh, flooded into the imagination straight away and continued to do so. And then hip hop sort of shaped, shaped everything because I learned about buying records and sampling anything, everything. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, the, fa the famous story is that I was trying to be a hip hop producer and I, I had just someone show me Cubase. And so I, I had this little studio that everything was running off like a double plug. So well, then at some point I bought a kettle and if you boiled the kettle, the whole studio would short. <laughs> and I'd <laughs> be like, Protos has crashed, we need to start again. And then Music um, or tea, you had to pick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I met Florence. I, well, I was working with a bunch of kind of anyone, anyone who had anything. I would be like, what's that? Come and let me record it. Hurdy gurdies, guitars, my friends, indie bands. I would like chop up into my NPC, all of that stuff. And then I met Florence and I was like, oh, you're a singer. Let's try and make a song. <laughs> and that was how that happened. And then, of course, we did that for such a long time. And the whole time I was like, I really need to do what I wanted to do in the first place, which is cinema and, you know, uh, making, you know, I love movies so much uh, and um, particularly gangster films. Love that. I grew up on like, you know, I love I love things that are kind of like full of adrenaline and <laughs> masculine energy and you know excitement and uh, and all of that stuff. So I basically, I, but I also loved um, John Barry's soundtracks, oh, James Bond. So, nice. so I sort of grew up with this kind of like you know slightly excited, like love all of the strings and and the kind of drama and the darkness. So I basically. Uh, uh, it actually wasn't Little Fires Everywhere that was the real beginning. It was Sam Levinson putting a piece of my music in Assassination Nation was the kind of like kickstart. And then that's where I met Mary Ramos, who is... Known her for a long time. She's amazing. And yep. she um, hand, she she said, hey, it's not a movie, but it's going to be amazing. Do you want to do a TV show and do you want to do it with Mark Isham? Because... You're so brand new to this idea. We just were coming off tour and I was like, hell yeah, I'd love to. No idea what that means. And it was basically like, pack a bag, you're coming to LA for, uh, and you're, we're going to need you here. Like you're going to need to be in every meeting. It's not going to work from London. <laughs> I think I did my first spotting session. Um, out without, a, without a visual from my little studio in London. I thought I could do it in oh, headphones. Wow. I didn't know what I was talking about. So really that quick was though, that. did you were you telling um Mary, did you tell her that you wanted to be a film composer? Did she have any yeah, yeah, indication yeah, yeah. I know, of this? She, but she also like I mean she heard this piece of music that I'd made for Sam and was just like and Can I just ask you. that assassination nation Q. Was it yes. a needle drop of something you'd already recorded? Did you write something bespoke for him, or did they break down a track that you had and take? Some I actually stems? had I just written it in the studio, and I was like, "This ah. is gr this is great." And I sent. I think I might have sent that and a few other ideas to Sam, and he just picked it out, and he was like, "This, this is 
going in my movie and i was like right and then and then mary was like you're coming you're coming with me kid you <laughs> you can be john williams so i was like okay cool what's that mean where do we sign and then um she just keep you know she was just like your melodies your melodies i was like thank you wonderful and then of course um you know uh, she put me with aisham who is uh extraordinarily uh he's a veteran at this yes so you know it was like go go and hang out with him in the in the you know in calabasas uh, calabasas thank you go and hang yes. out in calabasas <laughs> every day and uh and get amongst it and i was like not too shabby okay i like this new I, idea i'm surprised that you didn't at some juncture and it's just the karma of it while you were becoming one of the world's biggest rock stars that <laughs> either someone didn't approach you from a film music agency, you know, one of those film music agents of whom we all know and say, Hey, would you ever want to score a film? Especially you with your interest. Yeah. Right. Or you didn't think, you know, let me, I talk just don't to you. know. We were so busy in right. the, in the, the whole roller coaster of it all. That I, I didn't, there was, it, it sort of towards the end, I was starting to get antsy about, um, break, breaking into other things towards the end of that, of, uh, that whole run, because there was really just no, no, no time to stop. It would be like, we're going again, we're going again, we're writing again, we're going again, writing again, we're going again. Like, you know, and uh, I, I mean, I have seen the world and I am so grateful for it. I've seen the world before the world became this world. And I'm so glad that we played every festival and, you know, just in, but to be able to come out of all of that and like use my, um, use my, uh, imagination and one set of hands to Mm. do all the things that I was doing. Um, but like literally that don't require like a huge army of people to get you anywhere or anything is, is has been like the most amazing thing of all time. And do you think you will be balancing in this new world? You know, it's 24 hours in a day. Do you see it being 12 in the studio, producing records, writing records, being a, pop star and 12 you know then i guess you take 30 minutes for tea and business i was gonna say there's no sleep time there. Wait <laughs> and a then second. 11 and a half hours scoring star wars nine and uh you know born supremacy and do you see yourself i think dividing? the second half the second half the second of that half. yeah 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 so I, I, yeah. then it, is florence scared right now that's what i'm wondering <laughs> another plug uh, well, I mean, let's put her in a, in a box over there for a second and okay. go back. To, <laughs> she can go in the box over there. And, um, I, I mean, I just, in this moment right now, I, I feel extremely free to be, um, you know, able to jump onto anyone's, um, you know, what, whatever it is that they're, they're into you know tv or film and i'm i'm able to kind of like get get into their headspace too so it's just been like what you know one amazing opportunity after the other and they they keep coming so i'm just i want to that's where i'm 
that those that those twelve hours sense. of scoring Darth Vader dying, like that's yes. what's exciting right now. You <laughs> Is know it what I mean? Different. You know, you mentioned that you always wanted to do it. Then you had this fourteen-year mm. detour. Hacienda. Now, <laughs> now, now, suddenly you're doing it with Mark, and you did Panic. Panic. And you have physical Ri- Riviera. You wrote that, and you have the yeah. new physical out. Is it different than you imagined? And are you learning film scoring and things about it that you thought, "Wow, I never realized it was." this or that i had to know this are there aspects of it that are surprising yeah the fact that i'm so capable of it i have to say i can't believe it i just am like getting you know i always i i i've got this skill somewhere within me where i'm i feel like you know people (laughs) become my weapons and i sharpen them and like I've just from I don't know how it is. I think it's just from my like I was born with this kind of like encouragement thing. My mom's got it as well. And um I've just been given this the the space, the time, the freedom and like the encouragement to to do it. And with each thing I'm just getting better and better at it myself. So having spent a long time like investing in Jeremy, just write a script. Just come with me on tour and just sit there in the corner and write scripts or like whoever, write that song or you should do this. Oh, you'd be really good. I'm now able to just kind of like stop for a second and just like through learning like and and loving it, I, I'm just getting better and better and better at it. And now, oh, you know, great. things that like uh, I would before go like, how the hell did they make, make that? Like I'm now able to sit and kind of, try and figure it out for myself and then actually go like what that's not that's not a bad take on that (laughs) do you have different gear for film scoring than you do for making records um i mean do you have like a big monitor now in your studio and yeah i've got two monitors i've got um uh you know the same sort of selection of gear i've got endless plugins um but i use I use things in a different way, I suppose. Uh, but yeah. I, I was always like, more and more, like, what's that? Let's have 10 of them. Can you, oh, you've got a violin. Can you recall me this? Like, I've written the strings part, but it sounds shit on the keyboard. Can you, can you try, you know, ha- have you got half an hour for me? Like, always hustling with whatever anyone, still I'm doing it from my desk all day long. Uh, but now it's with orchestrators and, uh, you know, so like, and I would, yeah, it's so fun. I've, I've got a few orchestrators and, just like learning how how to kind of like write for an orchestra is a, a whole thing that I, I never would have ever would have. But then I suppose I've been doing it the whole time, but not really kind of. I'd listen to sometimes of my demos that I wrote in the very beginning and I'm like, that's so good. And it's got like <laughs> orchestration in it, but I didn't know then what it what I know now, kind of. I don't know. Are, are you learning that stuff film? on the... F- Go, Sorry, I was just going to say, are you learning that stuff on the fly? Are you taking class? Like, how do you how do you just, just come into that and start learning? It's just and, like and- lightning bolts. There's so much to there's so much to listen to, and I get so excited by all of it that like it's just like uh, for example. But I still just love rap music so much. I got completely sidetracked by Tyler the Creator's record 
I don't know if any of you have heard it. It is. It's right. It just came out. Oh, so good. Yeah, it just came out. And I, I, that's, I just dropped everything. I was like, oh my God, I'm scoring my first movie. Is that as cool as Tyler the Creator? <laughs> I was like, I'm <laughs> such an idiot. And then I just drop everything and go, all I want to do is li- like break down how Tyler made his rap record. <laughs> I know all but the But the brilliant now. thing is, you will bring that sensibility to film scoring too. That's exactly which is it. Very valuable and very in demand, which is someone who. Uh, doesn't just understand, didn't just go to the Royal Edinburgh Academy with all due respect to some of my great friends who went there, but yeah, yeah. feel rap or rock or electronica, but to have someone that understands both. Yeah. Very well. Well, I always said that like, you know, coming, like listening to hip hop, there's something really uh, important about and this is what the same thing that I applied to Florence the Machine in the beginning, and I still do it. It's like if it's on a loop, if you if you want to hear it on a loop again and again and again, it gets you in that loop. Then like then you've got it, you've got the magic there. So like wh- whatever that might be, and so you know, obviously composing takes you here and there, and emotions and feelings, and of which I I can relate to all of them. So like, but um, uh, I think that like. It's interesting when you listen to Tyler's record and then you listen to like, and then that took me on a Wu-Tang journey and I was listening to, now I'm listening to all the bells behind all the, you know, the the words and the drum loops, but then you're hearing the, the melodies, the drums, the, the guitar things that are just one note. If you put that over the top of something, you know, it takes a whole nother, takes a whole nother. That's so great. Sheen over the top of it. Yeah, it's What fun. do you... What are you learning time. <laughs> or, or what are you, what is film scoring allowing you to do that you weren't able to do in, in your artist? Yeah, career? you know, like, I think that it's, um, t- the regimen of television and like the being a part of a pack of wolves that are all like hunting, like getting to the same place. It has been so, um, it's been such a useful lesson. There's no time to, Think, oh, is this good? Like, oh, is anyone going to listen to it? Like, I don't know. Like, there's no time for that. You just have to lean in, do your best, then talk about it once a week with everyone, which is slightly nerve-wracking. And then you get your notes, and then you either smash it or do it again and again until you do get it, or like, or or just get the that. You know, it's just it's really nice to be a part of something where there's a um an end date and like a deadline and like i think that's been extremely helpful for me my momentum um Mm. just like some days i've been uh in this pandemic i've been at my desk at seven o'clock in the morning and there till two o'clock in the morning just because of the demand for like me going like yes to everything (laughs) um scoring two tv shows back to back with everyone like needing needing it needing where is it where is it where is it so i think that um that the, all of those things have been so that's been so useful to me and like i i'm making a record i've been making a record for a minute now and it is a machine record and um and like i gotta make sure i don't drop the ball on it because it's just so easy to get into other people's like worlds and go like I'm scoring this and it's the best thing ever. Um, so I, 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 I guess like I still need to kind of like there, I am applying that discipline with my own record. 
but it's funny how like um i don't have the same i have great support for it but like i just wish people would be a bit more school teachery with me and give me a deadline because for me <laughs> i'm like i want to fucking get out this year and then the label will come on board and be like well that's a great idea but we think we're realistically I'm like no don't slow me down we go we're going feel like so uh, you like you like the deadline yeah love the deadline oh, deadlines the are deadline. great they they it's so yeah. wonderful to have a gun at your head literally to say you have to have it in can i ask a really silly question about time zones is it easier when there's deadlines do you feel it's easier to be eight hours ahead of us in la and do you get a when you're at 7 a.m everybody else is kind of 11 p.m the night before and it's actually like it i i find it great because what happens is i'll wake up in the morning and i'll have all of my things from people and then that can sort of help the day you know help dictate the day and then equally like when you guys are sleeping i can fill your inboxes with all the things that i've been doing in the day so it's kind of like you know there's some gifting going on sometimes yeah, it's morning sessions yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly sometimes um swatting sessions you know on a friday on a friday morning for you guys is my friday night but whatever well i mean oh, what yeah. does anyone be doing on a friday night anymore <laughs> it's interesting it's interesting that your your first you know group of projects it's not like all the same type of music like let's get is we know she can do this type like they're completely different types of mm. music and did you do that on purpose like did you want to get just Give me I, the, the most yeah. random genres of music because I'm I, I'm I want to show you what I can do. Kind of, well, you know, I I just I thought that 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 has actually been the biggest problem for me in the music industry. The music industry, um, people didn't know what to do with me. They're like, get get in the box. I'm like, what box? I don't fit in the box. Like, and they're like, you have to be one sound. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. I do this, and then I go over here and do that, and that's really fun. Now I want to try that out um and so um what well, it's just so i can't say enough what a blessing it is um to be able to score for other people because then they go like right we want it to be like synth wave and i'm like sick like get the virus ti out let's just make noises on that and do this and then um <laughs> and then you know of course doing little fires with mark was so awesome because we we knew we were going to be able to record real strings uh at capital so i was just like yeah it gets right did you go to capital a or a b and record? absolutely yeah right we did. um which was you know it's just like such a like what is going on still at that moment that i don't think i really i i took it in but it's just like you know everyone else knew what we were doing and loved it and i was just like this is amazing um so you know, go, going in like to this, like that was, was, was such a huge blessing. But then of course, then you go like, oh, well, there's no budget for strings. So we're going to have to f find a way around string sounds. So like Paddock, they, they kind of, you know, it's all about the storytelling and the filmmakers, right? So like you kind of, it's just very collaborative and like understanding what that, what they've been listening to while they've been writing scripts or like, um you know maybe you know and this this is you're really the last person actually i'm finding now now that i'm moving into the film world you're not the last person but definitely with tv everything else has been thought out to till it gets to you 
um and then you're and then there you are like so they already you know so with with panic they knew what they wanted to a certain extent um and physical you know is set in the early 80s so but you know we were tailing off um the 70s as well so and she progresses the character she progresses as the time goes on so like that it was really fun to to go on that journey musically um and then uh yeah so so can you explain yeah. why you said in the film world you're not the last person just so in, in tv I, there's always this deadline that's going to go on the air but in film often you know the, they what, say the composer's the, the last writer on the film so well i i, I guess that like i'm well, I suppose that I'm doing things remotely, but actually, like people are hungry for music as they're as they're working on things at this at this moment. And they you know, I had a meeting today, and the guys were like, "It'd be really helpful." Like we, the music that we're listening to is helping the way that we're shaping the story. That's so. Great. Can you can you get? And I'm like, just send me what you're listening to, and like, let's get let's get into it. Let's so get it on. Yeah, exactly. What, what film so is fun. this that you're talking about? Um, well, actually, I'm scoring a not movie. Not at liberty to share right now. One, the I'm not. Name of the motion picture. <laughs> <laughs> one, I'm not. But um, one okay. is a movie called Cool Jane, which is um, directed by Phyllis Nash. Sigourney Weaver is in it, and Elizabeth Banks. And um, it's going to be uh it's it's beautiful it's been beautifully made and it's a serious subject um and are you the scoring sport, solo it's 1968 uh chicago so we've been listening i don't know if i'm allowed to give too much of it away actually so <laughs> okay. I shut myself up before that's, then. that's good enough uh, yes, are you scoring yes, it by yourself yes yes sir and will Just it be me. electronic and acoustic and orchestral, or you haven't decided? No, I don't think they'll be um, electronic, so it'll be acoustic. And um, Fabulous. I'm going to try and, yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. So you've, you, you've, now, you've now scored with Mark Isham. You've scored yeah. with, uh, as a collaboration, you've scored with Brian H. Kim. Yeah. Uh, which is another collaboration. And then you've scored solo. So I'm curious what your take is on working with a partner and working solo. What do you prefer? And, and how does one, how does one benefit and one, you know, with the other? It, uh, I mean, it's obviously really nice to have the cushion of someone else to, to kind of lean on, especially in those first moments of not knowing what I'm doing. Um, and I will, Always, always work with those people for sure i but i feel like and sometimes like you know that these are huge budgeted things that require um you know a lot of attention so actually with the tv stuff it's quite a uh uh it's kind of imperative i suppose here and there like even you'll see yep. hans zimmer will score with some someone else like quite often <laughs> um <laughs> so I, but I'm very happy to be doing things by myself. Good. I actually, a, that was one of my final questions before we let you go into your incredibly busy day is, <laughs> have you assembled a team around you that's kind of your, a music editor and a specific engineer and a specific orchestrator? A lot of film 
composers get so much done because they just have a, you know, they rock a crew. Your squad. I yeah. literally yeah. have all those things you just mentioned and then some. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like, and, and it's, and the exploration of like, you know, um, still I will always be, what is that? You, how do you play that? Come over here and record it for me. And like, you know, at the beginning of projects as well, it's, it's fun to see what new adventures I can go on, which rabbit holes I can go down with each thing. And like, have you worked with Isabel Griffiths? Do you know her? I, I see your name. She is the number one orchestra contractor. Yes. In no. London. I, yes. I think we have worked together, but not. And, I feel like I've been te talking to her. Yes. And I just thought she's so lovely and so supportive and great at this yeah. moment for you that yes. Isabel. Yes. Isabel knows everybody and every yes. sound and every way to get it. And it just, it's another plug where this is actually sort of about Great. you, but also about a lot of other. <laughs> That's good. More is more. I'm but so I, saw you, I just thought Isabel's yes. the greatest and she's there. And if you need a date in an hour Ye at Abbey road or air, she just says, Who, That's the one. Yes, 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 yes. Amazing. And um, thank you for putting her at the top of my imagination. I've yes. got a big, a bit, <laughs> very, very good. Her, name. her and Cezanne. <laughs> oh, well, Cezanne, you know. I mean, Cezanne. what a crew. What Don't crew I'm assembling. At the end of the I know, I'm very excited because I love painting more than I love anything else. I love painters. I find it really fascinating well, understanding at, why people do what they do. At the end of the 19th century, Cezanne painted a few apples on a table and no one had ever seen it that flat. And. Picasso and Brock saw the way that Cezanne was painting things without perspective, without, why do that? Photographs were suddenly taking away the need to be realistic. And the Impressionism mm. started to evolve into these very flat paintings, which then became Cubism by the time Picasso and Brock did it. But Cezanne is the genius who put Thank that you. forward. Robert Kraft, thank you so Robert, much for that. That is We just took a turn great. here. Yeah, no, that's uh, what I, I, I for that sort of stuff. I look at have, paintings all the time. Yes. You have thank not you. far from you at Tate Britain some of the greatest, most amazing, most inspiring work. Yes, the um the Rothkos um that was supposed to be in the Seagram's uh restaurant have uh, which have always been in the Tate Modern, as far as I've known, have just yes. moved to where they were supposed to have always been, which is the Tate Britain. And I went to see them. In and to tie this completely together in yes, a way that please. our listeners will either say, what the fuck is he talking about? Or we no, like good. That's, that's good. Get a Google the Rothkos are the complete evolution of flattening a painting out so that it goes from apples to pure emotion and color yes oh so, that makes me so uh, happy so a hundred years later Cezanne yeah. would look at rothko and say i totally feel you man yo yes and you so, know what all of that feeds in to um you know how i create sound so thank you well you i i feel you on that a hundred percent because for me painting and music are just Come, and painters, hand. I always hung out with painters as a musician yeah. because painters and visual artists 
it felt like they weren't worried about getting on the charts. They were worried about getting done what you described at the very beginning of this call, which is that Leggetti quote. I just need oh, to yeah. do the. I just need to do the work. work. Oh my god, that whole that whole thing. He's that Leggetti's music is like some other other another level. Yes, it really is. MGM in two thousand and one, a space odyssey. I liked the film. I, the way I, it used my music, I accept artistically. In the nineteen seventies, I saw a book of the making of two thousand and one, and and read that Leggetti had successfully sued MGM for taking his music. But it's not so. It's not so. I never sued them. MGM wrote me such nice letters. They said Ligeti should be happy. He is now famous in America. Huh. And I went you know to see it the other day. I went to see it in um at the uh, two thousand and one at the cinema. I go to the cinema all the time to watch old movies, and um I went to see two thousand and one. <laughs> and honestly, the marriage of uh I mean, talk about score. The way that um Kubrick use those laughable pieces of music whilst an ob a black oblong is just floating in space <laughs> that's been <laughs> handcraftedly know. painted by people. For, I mean, talk about making art. Like, that's all painting. So funny. Do you know that me. you're listening to the temp? No. He tempted oh, with all those. He and then decided that and, no one was going to be North. A, he ha hired Alex North, the great composer, to score the yeah. movie. Yeah. And when Alex North went to the premiere, they didn't even tell him. Alex North got to the premiere of the film and hurt, didn't hear a note of his music. Shaking hands, I don't, I mean, babies, I don't, just I don't blame him, everybody. to be honest. He heard the but temp, but it works, doesn't it? I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Amazing. How about when Strauss goes major when you first see the sun? But uh <laughs> I literally was like looking around in the cinema, just laughing like anyone else. This is so like it's so incredible and ridiculous. Just like this man, Stanley Kubrick, with all of these in film investors' money, and they're all wandering around, going like standing around behind him, going like, "When's he going to let us see the movie?" And he's just like, "No, it's it's not right. It's not right." You know, the sets that he was building whenever it was in, in the sixties or whatever, and. Like, you know, keeping this thing like secret, these, this ridiculous thing that you, that, uh, and then, and then, uh, yeah, it's just so funny. It's, it I just mean, reminded me, and I realized what I wish for you and for every composer is the opportunity ahead to work with a director of which mm -hmm. they are, they are few and far between with all love for directors that mm -hmm. really understand music, mm -hmm. of which I've had the great opportunity to be next to that handful and also embarrassedly the hundreds who mm. say what what is that and you say well, that's mm. that's uh the snare drum you know we have a, a two <laughs> and four we have a well do we can we change the tempo but keep the rhythm the same and do we need mm. snare drums i've never really felt that they but then you get next to ang lee or ridley scott and they say mm -hmm. I'll tell you what works and what doesn't, and you learn from them. And Kubrick, can you imagine Clockwork Orange, all those pictures, how he used the music? Shining. Shining. Oh. The Shining. Another so one that I saw. You, thank you. I was going to keep going. <laughs> a great, no, just a great director, because they, they yeah. sometimes see things in pictures that are. So I mean, great. Coppola. Coppola with The Godfather. 
Coppola with um, Apocalypse Now. I saw oh, well, in the cinema. Ridiculous. I mean, and you know what's really interesting? This is a fun story. Um, I because I started off sampling everything from vinyl. Uh, uh, you know, we didn't have Tidal and Spotify in 2005 or whatever, or Instagram or any of that nonsense. So nothing was fed to you. You have to find it. And um, I had a vinyl, of, well, I still do, of, of the Apocalypse Now soundtrack, which isn't just the music, but it's also the dialogue. So oh, I, I was hmm. sampling Marlon Brando at the end i was sampling dennis hopper you got the cigarettes and that's what i've been waiting for i didn't even know that i was sampling martin sheen and like and i, I went that. to see it only recently and you still can't get the music separated from the dialogue not anywhere i found it just doesn't exist online you have to track and, down walter merch who was the music editor thank you oh, walter merch who's still here who d thought that it'd be cool to start the movie with Dude, what an epic. You know the sound? That helicopter yeah, of course. Yeah, the Apache. coming across the screen? Walter Murch oh. was the great sound designer who Coppola put on it. And, you know, so you have that scene under the bridge where you're hearing, like, Hendrix in the background and explosions. Oh and, and everything's pink smoke. It's all palm trees and pink smoke. And the, the, right. the beginning is uh, it's bookended. And this is what I really love about films and l learning the art of the scoring is that it's bookended by the doors, the end. as And, and you know, it comes in with the doors and it ends with the doors. And, um, you know, I mean, talk about wow. rock and roll. Talk about rock and roll. So yeah. I think I'm in the right place. <laughs> You are, you are rock and right roll. Place. You are, and yeah. you're bringing everything that you know. Mm-hmm. This is why. And I guess I'm still learning as well. I'm just like, I was listening to Carl Off yesterday. Oh, you're going deep. So deep. <laughs> That's why I think film scoring is the, you know, I'm, I'm, needless to say, I have a distinct bias here, but. When people say, oh, it sounds like movie music, I always want to say, what the fuck are you talking about? It sounds like movie music. <laughs> movie music can be The Doors or yeah. it can be Ligeti, full stop. Yeah. And yeah. that's movie music. Yeah. And everything Literally. in between. Or it can be The Machine. That's what they're going to be saying, you know. I'm Which, just by so the way, excited. is like the most badass nickname. My, little, my nickname was Little Holmes. <laughs> I was a younger brother. You're the machine. I would trade that in a heartbeat. How did you get good. that nickname? It's pretty good. From my MPC. It was my MPC. You know, it's like my little hip hop beat making machine. Florence was the robot. I told her what to do. And then I had the machine. You and Dre. <laughs> so, me and Dre. And Rizza. And Rizza. And Method. Yeah. And Old Dirty right. Bastard. Oh. Have you seen the Wu Tang oh. documentary? I have not. No, I should oh, watch it. So cool. Is it? Okay. Oh, That's it's another so cool. one on the list. So interesting. Staten Island. Have we gone off topic enough, Kenny and Carol? I, th I was going <laughs> to say, I, I, if our audience is still with us, they're pretty cool. That's, I think we're getting better and better, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is. We like we sweated the small stuff, and now we're getting real. We got to do another round in, in person once everything Please. calms down. I would, I would absolutely to love to. When you're staying That's at the Beverly Hills Hotel, we'll oh come gosh. by with it. I got more stories, <laughs> but we'll 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 save yes, them. <laughs> I bet. Hotel. I, I, Thank I, you so I much wanna, for having me. 
I do want to ask you really quick. Um, I mm-hmm. saw you in concert uh, at a festival once, and it was massive audience. I'm just wondering, yeah. what's the biggest audience you've played in front of? I really don't know the answer to that. Rock and real? Hund- hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. We had, Is like, there any way to describe that feeling for, for our listeners who and, and for, for us? I mean, w- what is it like to step on a stage with that many people knowing what you've written? Oh, just... I just like I'm just so glad <laughs> that I've had that success. I'm so glad that I've had the, those moments because it uh, it's I, I just I remember at the beginning of this whole journey being in my little studio with my um, sounds and like you know grabbing people. What's that? Like, you know, uh, being shown Cubase and and all the rest of it, but. But um, I just never really, um, I just knew there was a whole world out there and I wasn't ever sure how I was going to see it. And like, you know, and then I met Florence and she, I was like, this girl's going to show me the whole world. And then she did. And we really did. You know, it, it's just the most amazing thing, having people singing words back to you, songs that you've banged the walls to make the drums and scream. And like, you know, oh, I've only got one thing to make the drum sound and it's a tambourine. Will that do? <laughs> so, you know, I, I, it's almost giving me, it's given me enough, like, juice almost to be able to uh, now just sit here and be completely happy in my own company back in that tiny little room. Um, God, that's because great. The, the exploration of, like, you know, the understanding now of cinema and the way that I'm getting to kind of uh understand you know now that i'm making pictures with people uh, like even albeit tv for now and then moving into the film world now because i keep saying i want to do films i want to do films and like i just think that um it's it's just all one great big like kind of thing that it's it's yeah the the shows have been i mean so amazing i think that would be a really interesting film like the idea of fandom but that's another story for another podcast. Uh oh. We'll talk about that. <laughs> News break. <laughs> score it. You can score it. It'll be perfect. Next, I eventually next, will. Eventually. Next career will yet. be finally directed. Will be, be eventually. all the way around. You Kenny? can go John Carpenter style and yeah. score directly. He, he was the whole reason that I was that. Yeah, that's why I made film. I made horror films at art school. And oh, I was so like, the light mo- motif, motif came from John Carpenter because he had the three notes, and those were the three notes that you would like. We're gonna get this so episode. Just keep it simple. Him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Isa, thank you so much for taking Guys, the time. Thank you so much and for having we're, me. We're so pumped for you, and your energy is infectious. And I'm yes. sure everyone loves working with you because this has just been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I hope everyone watches movies in a slightly different way now. Yes. It's all about this. It's all about the music or the lack of. Do we want to get is it a say you're listening to? Um, well, first, we're going to we're going to take a break. Um, coming up after the break, we have Oscar winning composer Elliot Goldenthal right here on Score the Podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back. 
Hey, it's Matt Schrader here. If you like Score the Podcast, you're going to want to check out More Score, our new Patreon show for Score superfans. What's Patreon? Well, it's a website and an app that lets fans crowdfund the type of extra content you want. And now More Score has it all on video. You can listen or watch right on the Patreon app. More Score already has the life stories of people you know, like Kenny and Robert from Score the Podcast, as well as bonus features, hangouts, and yes, original interviews, like Carlos Rafael Rivera from The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Did you know he had to throw out his score and start fresh? More Score gives you insight into the film score world, and it's a beautiful addition to those of you who just can't wait for another episode of Score the Podcast. Best of all, more score is year round. No more off season. Go to patreon.com slash more score or download the Patreon app and search more score. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Nicholas Bertel. You're listening to Score the Podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. I'm really excited about our guest today. He's an Oscar-winning composer of films like Frida, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Alien 3, Interview with the Vampire, A Time to Kill, Heat. There's There's so many. We could go down the list forever. Elliot Goldenthal, thank you so much for coming on the show today, sir. Maestro, how are you? Excellent, thank you. Elliot, I have an important question for you, just to kick it off. Where are you? I'm in the basement below sea sea level in Martha's Vineyard. Oh, that's very nice. I've been here since uh, last August. Wow, and what just... For those of us who I haven't been care, off the island, yeah. Who care about this? First of all, that's amazing. No island fever yet. Can you tell me? No. Uh, as someone once said to me, you've rented every house on Martha's Vineyard, Robert. Um, what neighborhood are you in? Just so we know. And <laughs> our, our audience is going to really love this question. Yes. I'm in Squibnocket. <laughs> Squibnocket, how beautiful! That's uh, there's some beaches there that we used to black sand and. Blackstone Beach and Stonewall Beach was one. <laughs> Stonewall, um, yeah. Stonewall yeah. Beach. That's great to know. And what a great place. I wonder, is it inspiring musically? Well, where I am is uh, on a bluff. Uh, so if I look out, I see the Atlantic Ocean. If I look behind, uh, it's, uh, you know, forest and um, scrub oaks and... Um, Lots of ticks, I say, suppose. So, um, um, but it it is inspiring because it's exposed also to the, um, to the heavens. So I I see, um, um, the sun and moon and positions relatively to the season. Uh, I see, uh, the, uh, the the planets, uh, I can pick out like four or five of them. Um, and, uh, it's, um, it's majestic to see uh, the, uh, especially the sunrise. When I walk right away from the sun, everything is s- s- sort of uh, like uh, indigo colored, 
and it, and it gets lighter and lighter. And when I turn around, it, you have these amazing reds and 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 fiery uh, um, refraction of the uh, uh, of the atmosphere. It's it's just amazing. You know, right. growing up in uh, uh, Brooklyn, New York, and uh, Manhattan, uh, you know, all those uh, uh, um, obscured by uh, buildings. You know, I, I kind of see uh, police cars reflected off uh, the uh, other people's windows. That's my astronomical reference. Is there a squib knock at Oratorio in our future? That sounds good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Just fun Although to say. I, I did. Um, I did write a um, symphonic, uh, symf symphonic um, a commission for the Pacific Symphony Orchestra called October Light, uh, which was uh, premiered last December, um, mm -hmm. and that um, that was inspired by, you know, just my walks and uh, being uh, isolated, you know. From the spirit of time. Are you a pretty vi the, the the way you described this neighborhood and walking outside? Some people would say it's pretty scenic. It's nice. You really painted a picture there. Are you a very visual guy, especially when it comes to writing music? Like, do you see the colors? Do you f like? Does that play a role in in how you write your music? What you the pictures, the colors, things like that. No, I, I know the composer Scriabin once had a, a theory of colors and how it relates to the chromatic uh, um, scale and etc. Mm. Uh, um, he um, once wrote a piece called "Poem of Colors," uh, a symphony of colors. But uh, no, um, but I'm very, very. Um, my work habits are. Um, uh, I start at around midnight. And then I work until six, seven o'clock in the morning. So uh, I take breaks like uh, every three hours or so, uh, or two hours, and I take walks. So I'm very sensitive to the way the, uh, uh, the, the heavens look, uh, and, uh, the uh, subtle changes of color and planet, uh, planetary, uh, um, uh, rotation. It's just you know? amazing. First of all, your wow. circadian rhythms are really interesting. Um, not unheard of, particularly for musicians. I know someone else that just someone, won't. Yeah, I don't know why, but that's. I mean, uh, Hans is like that. And uh, Quincy. Oh, Quincy. I know Quincy well. Yeah. We talked about that. Uh, I think um, when you're a. Uh, social person and and, and I like uh, enjoy people very much um, at, at one point you have to um, it's like a drug you have to get away from people and uh, crawl into your own space and uh, uh, I was that way my whole life where it uh, I uh, disciplined myself into uh, you know going um, in my own corner so to speak, and compose after um, um, after my friends are asleep. Uh, you know, other than my friends in New Zealand and uh, Australia, right? They're wide awake. <laughs> are yeah. you um, a uh, light sleeper? Do you or do you do you crawl into bed at dawn and sleep eight solid no, hours? No, no, no. I wish. I wish. Um, I'm averaging uh, these days uh, 
about five and a half, six hours. Mm. Five and a half, uh, that, that sounds about right. Um, but of course, um, I adjust uh, professionally. If I have to show up in the morning at nine o'clock in rehearsal, I have to do that. Huh? Yeah, I or, bet. You know. Or call those turkeys in L.A. who want to have a uh, you know meeting and. <laughs> and well, well, Michael Mann used to have those meetings uh, at uh, seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, and with the, with, uh, but you know. Batman uh, uh, Forever was a tough schedule because uh, it was uh, um, a reduced time period I was composing. And um, it was like um, nearly um, 14 minutes of, of scoring every day. Impossible. Uh, and, and, you know, so after the scoring session was started uh, at 10 you know, before that, I had to work with the uh, uh, conductor, brief them, uh, Jonathan Sheffer in this case, uh, ah. and then, and then, um, and then you have the meeting with the director. In that case, was Joel Schumacher. I miss him, and uh, and yeah. then, and you have um, you have to meet with the uh, brain trust of uh, Warner Brothers at that time, and then have dinner, and then go home and compose for the next day. And the copies sh show up at uh, five o'clock in the morning, so you're on that, pro uh, you know, um, uh, it's busy, <laughs> uh, a busy that, schedule for uh, a nearly a uh, month and a half. Was that the first time? This is a double question. I mean, I, I first of all, I've had an Elliot Goldenfall festival this week. I literally have been just enjoying an incredible variety of music that pours out of you. Truly hard to pin down this is the elliot goldenfall sound which is such an asset that may be a separate topic but it's it's really interesting to see the variety was that batman picture the first time you worked with joel because he brought you in i think is that the one yeah, you came yeah, in yeah. second yes um uh no I didn't hear the second part of the question. I just wondered, did he bring you in? He brought you in to replace someone, I believe. That's why you no, he, no, not no, no. Um, I replaced someone in the Interview with a Vampire. Oh, uh, that's the one. Sorry. Uh, yep. Uh, uh, yes, um, uh, and Neil Jordan called me up and uh, he said, uh, "You have three weeks to do the score. Are you up to it?" Uh, I said. Full orchestra, he said. Yeah, full orchestra. Wow. So, um, um, I enjoyed that because, uh, in in the same way, uh, it's a luxury of time. For example, you know, we did um, uh, Alien Three with uh, David Fincher was uh, in, in, involved, and he gave me. Uh, I had a, a year to compose, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, in, in that period, uh, there was a. Uh, the studio and him uh, were uh, uh, not totally agreement of a every scene, so it was a <laughs> lot of changes and changes and changes and changes, and uh, various um, directors uh, enjoy making a lot of changes. Uh, but when you have a project like Interview the Vampire with Neil Jordan, said we have three weeks, there's no time for changes. So in, in a way, it was a luxury. Because oh, it great. was just go and do it and react to the scenes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
You did a couple amazing pictures with Neil too. Michael Collins is that Neil? I did five. Yeah, five. Uh, yeah, yeah. Two of them was uh, nominations, uh, Oscar nominations. I was uh, very, very, very pleased with that whole collaboration with Neil. Mm-hmm. He's great. In a in a situation like that with Interview with the Vampire, you have three weeks. I imagine that your process changes in some way because it's so sped up. But do you? Is it is it the same approach when you sit down and you know that you have three weeks versus a year? Like, how do you speed that type of workflow up that much? That's such a crazy difference amount of time. Um, you know, people uh, who get into car accidents have the feel, uh, eerie feeling that everything is slowed down. The the events that leads up to the uh, impact is slowed down. Uh, so, so, um, in that way, uh, I, 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 I breathed, um, uh, and, uh, exhaled with the uh, actors, uh, on screen. I, I was part of the, um, uh, part of the action, so to speak, uh, the drama, uh, where I wasn't interrupted or worry about additional edits, additional cuts, uh, or, you know, I, I was able to invest my uh, full attention on the dramatic reactions to the scenes, you know, and, and uh, it, it was um, uh, a formal life uh, before movies, uh, um, and, and even now, uh, um, I'm involved with theater, and, uh, uh, and uh, in a in the beginning, uh, my four or five theater pieces were improvs to what is happening on stage. Mm. So, so I'm very, very, um, uh, uh, I'm very attuned to that, uh, uh, a physical reaction I had have to external, uh, 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 acting or, or external, uh, uh, movement. So, so I'm comfortable with that. I like wow. that. I like that's, it. That's such a cool analogy. I love how you spell that out. We do want to get into some of your films, you but mean um, the car, car accident. Oh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting way to look it at it. It teaches me like a lot down. about the nature of time. Just when you yes. say that, and how somehow that's an, time- inter- uh, that's an interesting subject. Time, because uh, um, let me roll the take back for a second, Please. because I forgot to say that. Um, my favorite uh, Neil Jordan project of the six I did, or five or six, was uh, a little movie called The Butcher Boy. Hmm. If you have a chance to look at that, it, it lends itself well to uh, television. It's not a big cinematic thing. It's a very hmm. uh, uh, um, heartfelt little Irish project, and I really, really uh, enjoyed my collaboration with Neil on that. And sorry, uh, you sang. That's first of all, I I saw it and uh, among your credits and thought it's one I've always heard about as being strong. Have um, to check it out. We'll definitely check it out. Oh, I was I was just saying that it's interesting the car analogy because you're saying that often when the pressure is on, instead of things accelerating for you and becoming frenetic, as much as that was, I'm sure the external. You said there was a feeling of just slowing down to get things done and i wonder how that impacts us in all things i mean sometimes having 
a gun at our head actually produces great work and great results. Well, um, that happens to me um, quite often uh, um, when I'm in front of the um, at the recording session. You have um, you know eight. 80, 100 musicians sometimes and, and, and director. And <clears throat> so, so uh, at that point, everything gets extremely slow where I'm listening to the second bassoon or this and that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very, very, very conscious of uh, because, you know, all that stuff lives after you, you know. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, uh, it's funny with time, and it's also funny with time composing to film, because uh, you sometimes it's counterintuitive uh, to think of that um, a slow piece of music at, during fast action. Sometimes that speeds the the uh, uh, the uh, perception of time, as opposed to composing frenetic fast music to a frenetic. Uh, action scene. Uh, You've actually the, anticipated mm-hmm. one of my questions. Um, it's so funny you said that. I've had, in in my Elliot Goldenthal festival, I not only rewatched <laughs> Frida and was reminded of so much of that. That's uh, beautiful because it was so mel- uh, melodic. It was like a vacation to. Uh, Enjoy writing melodies, you know. So oh my it's God, beautiful. it's lush. You can literally, you can almost dive into the score and just kind of swim in it. It's so much music and beautiful music. And I have a couple questions about it and a beautiful film. But when I listen to Heat again, one of my favorite scores and favorite movies, one of the things that amazed me, which I didn't remember, is what you just said. It's footballs. It's long passages. And to just listen to it without seeing the picture, because I didn't screen the picture, I just listened to the score. I thought, this this music brings up the same emotion I had watching it, which is kind of anxiety and some confusion, and there's sadness in there a little bit, and there's a lot that's in the movie. But also, which scene is this where it's just these long passages? Isn't is this a... What isn't Tom Skidmore like? You know, and here's Val Kilmer racing around. I could, I couldn't figure out why they were long, legato passages in Heat or where they were. I thought the score was frenetic, and it was. Well, it has a frenetic moments. If uh, the 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 uh, the tune uh, on uh, the uh, the album, anyway, is called the Heist. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. it uh, starts. At, just as you say, um, long, long uh, sustained notes, and that was establishing Los Angeles with uh, with uh, Michael Mann esque, uh, uh, you know, uh, lights of Los Angeles, and and uh, and and then when it um, starts the um, the actual machinations of the heist, um, uh, it's almost a heartbeat uh, subwoofer thing that gets going, and a string quartet is playing. Uh, um, uh, started out being um, nervous, and it gets fr- to frenetic. But to your point, uh, uh, Michael Mann was always uh, very, very helpful and instructive. 
and pointing me out uh, of these uh, really car chase things and stuff and just just play something sustained over it and let's see the reaction and uh, all of a sudden you 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 um it it starts to work and uh, and uh is many scenes that supports what you exactly is saying and uh when we did also um public enemies uh yeah. you know um Johnny Depp and blah 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 and he had the, the same reaction he he's um he's very 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 um keen on that approach uh i think he was even keen on that approach in uh, Miami Vice uh, with uh is a, a television approach uh, as a producer it's the confidence also of a filmmaker who says you know it's it's the least less experienced filmmakers that think i got to amp this up i might not have done it enough but i'm i'm just guessing but michael mann knows the rhythm of the picture and the and the solidity of what he shot doesn't need the composer to gas it up it works and it works i mean i know well, i i thought the music was faster than it was just because i well listen my, to it again you'd yeah. be surprised there are a lot of fast scenes and a lot of exactly how you describe scenes but uh and and michael mann doesn't lack for confidence and yeah. he also had uh, a lot of power and that helps uh, you know because he doesn't have to go back to uh, a parliamentarian kind of uh, situation when he finishes something it's it it's done a luxury yes elliot uh we we like yes. to go back a little bit and uh talk about how you became what you are as a composer as a musician um you, so you 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 grew up in new york I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, and yeah, uh, your your parents weren't musicians, right? My father, uh, my father was a house painter, and my mother was a seamstress. So were you? But I mean, they loved they're music. Obviously not they, 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 it was always uh, music playing and very good music, you know. Uh, but so they listened listened to a lot of music, but you weren't exposed to like musicians as a kid. What do you mean a kid? When does a kid start? On, when does a kid stop? That's a great uh, age age wise. Yeah, um, I know philosophically it can last forever, but you're referring to what? I, I guess I just mean in your childhood, growing yeah. up in the house, before, like in grade school, were you? playing musician or were you playing musical instruments at this time were you yeah. a kid playing out in the street scuffing your knees what was your uh, free time like as a kid well i played piano because it was a piano in the house a little spinet and uh, and um when i was um uh 12 years old uh, i got a, a trumpet as a gift for my father he got yeah. it in a pawn shop so so uh, um that that really really helped me because I was playing in uh community bands and community orchestras and things like that so um you know you sit sit there where everyone else is uh, rehearsing and you're listening to stuff and you take it all in at the same time I grew up uh, in a in the world of jazz and rock 
rock and roll and, and stuff. I had in my own band, a blues band, and uh, I was lucky enough uh, at uh, 14 years old to attend the, the uh, uh, Woodstock Festival with uh, my wow. older brother. And uh, I was really lucky, really lucky to have my, my mother had three boys, nine years apart. Uh, wow. So uh, each uh, each brother brought with them their own records, their own music, <laughs> oh, and totally, they uh, yeah. so I was educated in in a eighteen year old uh, eighteen year span above me. So, so you were so the youngest. I inherited all those records. So, um, and one was a, a, a tremendous uh, 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 jazz fan, and uh, I was, he used to, I wouldn't say drag, but he uh, let me come along to hear uh, Miles Davis and Mingus and Coltrane and Dis Gillespie and we were uh, playing on the other side of the subway. And, oh, um, you know, so, so the, I, I was lucky to be in New York at the time and to have those conditions. But, um, were you a film fan as well though? Like in, yeah. in terms of film composing, was that anything you were paying attention to or was oh, it mostly like the artists? Uh, later on, um, uh, later on in my childhood being, uh, when I was about 15, 16, um, uh, there used to be a uh, three art, art house studios, um, the, uh, in, in New York. And it was amazing. They used to have uh, Fellini festivals and John Ford festivals and Kurosawa festivals. And it, go, it used to go on, you know, uh, a week or two weeks at a time. You know, uh, Charlie Chaplin festivals, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, movies from Russia, and blah, blah, blah. You know, so, so. Uh, I listened to these movies and Hitchcock festivals, and uh, you listen to it says, "My God, what amazing composers! You know, varied and amazing. The Bernard Herrmann and uh, Nino Rota and uh, all these movies. And you see that uh, uh, as a kid, you said, ah, I can't wait to be part of that cinema thing. It's it's." Uh, Really exciting. What I like about what you said is you've just described very innocuously this incredible combination of, well, there's Woodstock, so you're hearing Jimmy and The Who, and you're exposed to all that, of course. There's Coltrane and Miles and Mingus, so you're hearing that. And then there's film music you mentioned, and then there's this classical thing and it actually starts to explain the Elliot Goldenthal yeah. stew, which is this kind of completely contemporary mix of all that. And I, I've always been interested in that, Elliot, how you found a way to express the film with its own language that combined these elements. Yeah, it, it for me it was very um it's it, it's just autobiographical in the sense that oh, it's that's what i that's what i heard you know uh yeah. as well as um you know mozart as a kid not comparing myself but as a, as a musician he was uh, as a kid uh, uh uh very gifted uh and he was taken around various uh, european cities so he was exposed to italianate stuff uh german stuff austrian stuff uh spanish stuff 
Um, so, so uh, you know, um, when I open my window or even close my window in Brooklyn, I hear, hear everything, you know. Yeah, a guy playing uh, Wagner, someone playing, uh, you know, salsa and and uh, <laughs> what, whatever. Uh, uh, Aretha Franklin, you know, all day, you know. Yeah. Was there a moment where I've never known this, and I, I certainly have read a lot of the interviews, but I don't know what your first film was and who said, "Hey, would you like to try this?" Well. It was uh, it was two two movies. Um, first of all, let me back up before the first movie. Um, it was um, uh, I had a friend who was um, uh, attending uh, first year of uh, NYO uh, film hmm. school, and his uh, and uh, he invited me to uh, lectures by Haga Manujian. Uh, and various um, uh, scholars, teachers at uh, NYU Film Music hmm. School. So, so what I did, uh, I put up uh, a little uh, sign on a, you know, on the bulletin board. Said, mm-hmm. um, "I'll compose anything for any student film, as long as you can pay the musicians. <laughs> I'll do it free." You know. So, so um, I did, um, you know. Scores of uh, many, many, many uh, uh, film scores um, for students, and uh, and um, I had a, a, a good body, uh, good body, uh, Louis um, Bertini, who became uh, later became a very, very good um, editor, sound editor, but um, he had. Friends of friends who, who was uh, introduced me to this uh, German producer, uh, uh, Christoph Gierke, uh, who was uh, he was working with a German director named Uli Lomo, who was not very good at these <laughs> movies. Um, he says, Elliot, can you do two movies or three movies for me? For two thousand dollars, that includes your fee, musicians, copying, everything. So I, you know, I did it. Um, but uh, two music movies, one with uh, Andy Warhol and Jack Palance, the other one, one called Cocaine Cowboys, wow. the other one called Blank Generation, with all the great uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. Well, uh, and uh, Andy Warhol, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he was in an interesting crowd, but the movies weren't that good. Uh, but but still, I had um, I had the responsibility of doing everything: composing, copying, comp- uh, conducting, and and uh, mixing. And then at the end, I didn't get paid because he says, "Oh, we're gonna uh, defer the money." So it was uh, a <laughs> when you when you went into class and wrote that on the on the board. What was yeah. the end goal of that though? At that point, were you like, I want to be a full on film composer? Were you just trying to get no, reps no, doing no, no, different no. type of work? No, I, and um, I didn't think of film composing as a separate category. I, I thought it was a a really cool thing, 
you know, it's like, uh, um, uh, you know, if you're uh, athletically inclined, you played baseball and basketball and football, and, and uh, you didn't say, I want to be, uh, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. you enjoy in, enjoy the participation of, in, in various things that you can, as a, as a human, uh, express yourself uh, or being part of. It's interesting that Cocaine Cowboy and Blank Generation, though they might not have been good, I they both have a certain legendary quality of being, you know, art Legendary films. bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, legendary bad, but sort of they have captured moments. It's funny, Cocaine Cowboy comes up in Midnight Cowboy that and Warhol, and he was jealous. There's a scene in Midnight Cowboy that's a big party scene, and Warhol felt that, you know, it was ripping him off and vice versa. But did it give you the reputation of being uh, somehow allied with the avant-garde? In other words, suddenly you end up doing these huge Hollywood movies. Did But I imagine somebody thought, oh, he's... he's you know, that, 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 uh, those early movies, like it was 1979, uh, 1980, and, and that was a separate lifetime on, uh, almost. Uh, yeah. That was a... The crowd I was um, kind of stumbling around with uh, was um, downtown New York, um, um, avant-garde, quote-unquote, artists and, and the musicians. And uh, I, I wasn't part of any clique or anything, but uh, mm -hmm. I was um, kind of in on a first-name basis, kind of, kind of on the periphery. But then... Um, it took like 10 years before I, uh, uh, I did, um, uh, 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 Drugstore Cowboy and, and, uh, Pet Cemetery in the same year. I forgot which one was first, Gus Van Sant and, uh, Mary Lambert. Yeah. Um, but that came about an entirely different way. That came about through theater. I was doing theater with my wife, uh, Julie Tamor, at the time, uh, and, and still are. Um, but uh, we did a piece called Juan Garien, which is uh, um, entirely in Latin and Spanish. And it was, uh, at the time, it was uh, at uh, a little church in uh, uh, West 46th Street in Manhattan. And uh, it got a lot of attention. Um, and it won the Obie Award that existed, Villa's Voice thing. And um, um, so it had a lot of attention of, of directors and uh, film directors going to, to the production. Hmm. And I was, uh, they uh, was introduced to my work in the theater and they became curious. And my, um, also, my uh, classical teacher, uh, John Crigliano, uh, who I studied with for seven years, and I par parenthetically knew since 1961, when I was a little, little, little boy, hmm. uh, he came from the same neighborhood in Brooklyn. And uh, he, uh, he said, you have to meet this guy, Sam Schwartz, this agent. And, uh, and uh, he, Theater Works, John Curigliano, 
and everything kind of um, was a stew that uh, uh, led up to um, um, jokes to a cowboy, which is an interesting story because Gus Van Sant asked Sam to send me him my music from the stage piece Juan Darien. Mm-hmm. He listened to it. He lost the tape, huh. <laughs> and and uh, his editor found a, a tape unlabeled. It was my tape, and he tempted the whole uh, uh, movie with my score to Fandarien. It was horrible. The temp was horrible, but but he was interested in um, uh, working with me, and I thought the movie was. Absolutely great, great movie. That's crazy. That is amazing. Um, this this is this hour is going by so fast. We're going to take a quick break, okay. and when we come back, much more with Elliot. We'll be right back on Score the Podcast. Hey guys, it's good to see you. I wanted to tell you about this thing called More Score. Have you heard about this? I have heard about it because, but that's because I read everything. So I mean, there's very little. I've it gets heard printed about. daily and I'm on and, it, uh, delivered to your front doorstep. Yeah. Yes, more score is what it is. It's it's our new Patreon show, and all of our listeners can go check it out. We're putting out episodes all the time, and you're probably wondering what's Patreon. Have you heard I am. Of Patreon Could you before? tell me? Uh, I'd be I'd be delighted to tell you Patreon is a website where our fans basically can crowdfund and tell us the type of content that they would like us to be able to go produce. So we've been going out and doing interviews with people. Um, obviously, we've we've interviewed you both directly there and a little bit about your lives and, and the people who you've crossed paths with, but also um, Carlos Rafael Rivera the, of uh, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix and uh, the guys from Cobra Kai, which it was kind of cool. We found out that um, when we recorded with Chris Beck for uh, score a film music documentary, those guys were just getting coffee. They might've offered us. I think uh, Zach uh, said they did. did I think. And it was great Mm -hmm. coffee, which was a great sign for their futures. Yes. I remember that. And I, he, he actually told me, his career has been completely downhill since that moment. <laughs> but that Well, that offering, wasn't in the interview, so it doesn't count. If uh, he said anything darn. of the sort, then uh, it wasn't on the record. Okay, Zach, but, sorry, uh, man. But we're putting these episodes out all the time. More score. How do you get to it? You can go to patreon.com slash more score um, or download the Patreon app and search more score. Oh, of course, here's my alarm going off right as we're recording this. That's because uh, it's so exciting. It's, you've like set the alarm off. You, th- this is like these little reads that we're doing right now for more score are, we're going to do a couple of them and our listeners can collect them all. If they aren't hitting that little 15, you should make an button, NFT I, out of them. Yeah. It, there's, I was going to say, you can make a non fungible <laughs> token out of a more score read. Yeah, we could do that. We do have an or official not. season, uh, season four, Score the podcast NFT that's now Ooh. available. We have one for each season, not for each episode, but for each season. So if anyone out there, Heavy. but uh, the we're getting off track. More score is on Patreon. It's uh, you can go to it. Patreon.com slash more score. We're putting out episodes all the time and it's extra stuff. It's stuff you won't hear on score the podcast. 
access to different people, interesting voices. Um, and for your support, we have these perks, too. So you can get a, a pretty cool little collector's T-shirt that we're putting out now. Um, this coffee mm-hmm. mug that's pretty cool. Uh, it has all the kind of our, our instrument, orchestra instrument look on it. It's pretty cool stuff. So uh, you can support us there. Patreon.com slash more score. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Howard Shore. You're listening to Score the Podcast. Now let's go back to the program. Welcome back to Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. We're here with Oscar-winning composer Elliot Goldenthal. Um, Elliot, earlier you brought up Batman Forever, and obviously uh, we're, we just hit the one-year mark of uh, losing Joel Schumacher. I'm wondering, what, how would you characterize your guys' working relationship? You worked on a few movies together, but big ones, uh, big at the box office, and it was, it was a, a, a big decade uh, for you guys working together. What was your relationship like uh, working? Well, uh, in the Batmans, uh, uh, Joel was under extreme pressure. Uh, but yet, through all that pressure, he, he let me do my thing. And, uh, and um, my thing meaning um, um, I wanted to compose his movie completely not look back uh, at the history of the other um, uh, Danny's wonderful work on the uh, other movies uh, or uh, think about anything else mm. and uh, um, uh, Joel's sensibility was very theatrical and 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 comic book like it was mm-hmm. um, uh, a very very it didn't take itself very seriously in a good way and that was um, uh, that was Joel's philosophy. It's disposable culture. It can be great, but it's just like a comic book, you know. And and uh, it's not like uh, Sturm und Drang, and it's not hmm. like uh, something that you have to uh, 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 wring your fingers and hands and sweat. Uh, uh, but um, he wanted it to be fun, heroic, uh, zany. Uh, at times, uh, a little rebellious, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, it was a big movie. So he wanted a big orchestral sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he wanted a new back Batman theme. It was a new Batman mobile. It was a new Batman. So he wanted a new, uh, Batman theme. But uh, everyone knew that the uh, television show and Danny's music and uh, whatever um, had its own uh, contributions. Uh, well, right now there's, you know, a million superhero themes every day, every week something comes out. But back then, a superhero movie came out not very often and it was a really big deal. And I specifically remember that movie being like a crazy marketing budget. I mean, everywhere you looked, it was Batman Forever, the bright colors, it was on fast food cups, everything. Can I persuade you to take a sandwich with you, sir? I'll get drive through. 
how early were you working on that film? And was there, was that pressure for you? I mean, in our documentary, you talked about seeing the movie poster and, and seeing those deadlines in, in the subway movie was in the th- that movie was okay. everywhere. And uh, there was a lot going on with that money wise. Were you feeling that? It goes back to what I said about the uh, car accident, you know, yeah. when it gets uh, <laughs> up to that uh, moment, um, uh, it was, um, it was just, you know, one foot in front of head the other. Down. That yeah. was I, a head down, exactly. How early were you writing the themes on that? Did you have a head start, or or did, were you looking at picture when you? Yeah, were yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, about um, a good six months before that, he wanted to me to record uh, along with um, Warner's. Uh, uh, I, I think he we wanted to record um, a, a good. 15 20 minute sample with a full orchestra Mm. wow because i was listening through especially the the villain themes and once you see jim carrey on screen did did he influence did he change any of the themes when you saw him on screen with tommy lee jones and the and the the colors and just the way they were on it's so zany and you there's so many different styles of music utilized when edward nigma is on the screen how much did that in uh influence your absolutely themes. absolutely the, the, uh, i wanted more and more and more and more in terms of uh input um uh, I, I react to the movie I, I don't subject my music on the score sc- screen the screen tells me what to do i'm a part of uh, collaboration and uh and, and one of the next to last collaborators is me and i wanted more and more in terms of um uh uh, effects, uh, you know, visual effects, uh, sc- uh, uh, c- computers uh, effects. I wanted to see more. So everything influenced me. Colors, editing. Uh, uh, I think know. there's even a theremin in there at one point. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, in that scene, uh, I... <laughs> He's uh, showing all his gadgets, you know, and uh, and uh, it's a kind of, um, uh, um, you know, it alluded to uh, uh, the fantastical elements of 1950s uh, 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 scientific uh, futuristic uh, gadgets. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, that, you know, it was nice. Uh, I enjoyed the, the theremin. I mixed the theremin with the s- soprano with a lot of vi- vibrato, so it had a, yeah, a, a I, weird... I was going to say, I was listening, and I'm like, is that a theremin? No, it's a voice. No, it's a theremin. Yeah, it's no, both. I listened to it like five it's, times in a row to it's, check. It's, it's, it's both. Yeah. Oh, That's man. So cool. Did you write and record on the West Coast? In other words, you're a, you're a pretty I did. Hard... I did. I, I, I recorded, yeah. You were never tempted to move to these sunny Hollywood hills. You've stayed East no, Coast no, no, the whole I, time. No, I, I don't. I don't know how to drive a car. Okay, and, that's good. Uh, me and Quincy. No, you and Quincy. That's absolutely right. I think Hans too, and I think it's a probably a saving grace. But I also really understand the value of not only being in New York, but of staying. Keeping a little distance from this mania. Well, I, 
what happens is, um, uh, as I described, walking around in, in the uh, country uh, side and, and next to the ocean, I, I'm the same way in the city. From uh, midnight to six in the morning, I take walks through the streets and, wow. uh, and uh, enjoy walking through cities uh, also. And, and it's something about Los Angeles. Um, um, it's absolutely beautiful city because of all of its uh, contrasts and, and uh, you know, um, nature. It's gorgeous, but it's hard to walk around. You set off alarms if you walk around, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Um, so, so, but I found that going to Los Angeles and working with the great musicians in Los Angeles are uh, recording musicians. It's just amazing. Uh, Sight reading, uh, you know, just, just amazing. Um, I, I enjoy, um, I enjoy going out there and uh, feeling, you know, especially in December, you know, feeling, yeah, uh, no kidding. you know, take my, it's the perfect, know, in some ways yeah. the perfect combo. And I won't, bore you with the details of my next book, which after Midnight Cowboy, which is all New York, I've started the book, The Big Goodbye, which is the story of Chinatown and the great melancholy and desolation of like Los Angeles that Robert Town, the screenwriter, feels. And he mentions walking, but he mentions walking in this kind of Raymond Chandler-esque sunlight right. and shadow. Right. So interesting. I wanted to ask you, just curiously enough, I don't know any other composer, I'm trying to think, who has actually scored the films directed by his wife. That is, I think, unique in the annals of, of film history. I don't know if it exists. I just wondered, I mean... I can't imagine if my wife came in while I was writing music and said, "Ah, I don't think so. You got to <laughs> you got to have something else." Um it just be curious. I think our audience who loves and adores your scores would love to know how do you keep your own sense of what's right for the film when your actual partner says, "This is what I need or this is what I or I love you dear, but this doesn't work." Has there ever been a secret to how that all worked out? Well, yeah, it is, it is a secret, uh, but the secret is not is more commonplace uh, in the sense that we met uh, we met working together in the theater, mm, and, nice. uh, and and uh, there we did um, we met in nineteen eighty one. And we worked solidly for five years in the theater uh, before anything romantic happened, you know. Uh, and and uh, so so um, we already had uh, more of a, a a foundation of a certain relationship uh, uh, dynamic uh, that that was already extremely established before anything that uh, uh, was. Um, uh, uh, romantic uh, um, uh, dynamic. So, yeah. so uh, um, of course, what you say, uh, if, I, if I'm working on something and she happens to uh, enter the room, she might 
you know, not like what you're hearing, but I <laughs> say, wait, 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 wait until the musicians show up, wait until this, wait until that. So it was the same situation, but um, I think she kind of knows, uh, give Elliot uh, a time where he can go off and, and do his thing. And uh, the great thing about her is um, she's um, very, very, um, she's very close with working with actors and performances. So, uh, and, and during the editing process, she gives me the opportunity to, um, see if the music can enhance the scene before she edits it. And, and, and for, now, for example, we did two movies that I'm very proud about. Uh, one especially proud is Titus. Mm-hmm. Um, in the mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins and uh, yep. you know uh, in that movie Shakespeare movie uh, she decided not to use any temp music but my own my own music from various movies that didn't work out and well because uh, that was um, the best of what I was capable of I was lucky to find those themes in other movies so when she tempted, I said, oh, I was already lucky once. I, I can't imagine doing it again, you know, doing going down that same road and having to pay, pave the same road. So so um, that was very difficult in, in terms of uh, working relationship uh, because of that temp music situation. On Frida, she said, throw that out. Now just compose from scratch, no temp music whatsoever. I'm going to pro- uh, show it to for the for producers, the studio, whatever. It was Harvey Weinstein at the time. Uh, yeah. Everything you do, just do it on the screen, and that's the way it is. And I found that uh, she gravi- gravitated toward the first impressions that I did as a composer, mm-hmm. more than anything else. That music is wall-to-wall in the film, too. I mean, there's... there's whether Titus and Frida. Tita, yeah, Titus and Frida. Frida, there's not only the score, which is magnificent, but there are little conjuntos playing and people going by on a truck playing and people in the back of a restaurant playing. I mean, it's just yeah, it's so... A, you're immersed. ...lusciously musical and wonderful and well-deserving. And you write the song at the end with Julie. Right. Uh, Bernard Blue, uh, Caetano yep. Velocio, and uh, Leela Downs. Uh, oh, God, I love both right. artists, too. Yeah. So, and um, and this year we like... uh, did um, uh, uh, Glorious, The Glorious. So that's uh, this, yep. this year's uh, collaboration. I was so curious you... about The Glorious because there's a kind of Dwayne Eddy guitar in there and i thought well glorious dynam like a western hero here in in a sort of you know it starts with her coming into north dakota or wherever that is south dakota sturgis the bicycle rally and that makes sense and the boots go down on the ground the motorcycles but i thought i actually started to have a little bit of a wait i have to go back and listen to elliot's work is he like there's the guitar there. There's the guitar in all throughout Frida. I started to think, is guitar your secret weapon? 
or was it just accidental? Uh, it's a, it's another color uh, we all grew up with, uh, yeah. and uh, and that guitar is capable of uh, doing so many, uh, you know, so many pair, uh, uh, so many sonic um, uh, variations. If you listen to Heat, uh, um, there's a, a tuna that I really like, uh, a composed called um, um, Condensers. <laughs> that that's in Heat, and uh, in Butcher Boy, you'll see that has a similar approach to a long, sustained, amplified guitar, uh, and um, uh, you know, trickled in throughout the the scores. Um, is various uh, guitar, uh, um, you know, approaches. Even Public Enemies has Public en- kind of even a different, but it's interesting is there are different flavors of guitar playing, which kind of makes your point, which is that it's always, guitar has all these colors. It's either kind of a, you know, authentic rock sound or a country sound. It's But I, I found it was really interesting because you, I think the takeaway is, oh, Elliot's orchestral. Yeah, but listen to all the rock guitar shit. Well, look why I grew up, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, right. Woodstock, etc., etc. But um, um, in terms of uh, the glorious, yes, I see um, a bus. I see a, a yellow line on a highway, and uh, you know, expanse of uh, Middle America, uh, uh, Gloria uh, as a, a as her best work uh, as a. You know, continued work as a, a political force was from the 1960s to hmm. now. You know, yeah. that's the the, the the sweet spot of uh, American uh, guitar playing. And uh, you can't think about uh, a, a, a Greyhound bus without thinking of uh, racial uh, politics and and uh, uh, and uh, uh, protest situations in the United yeah. States and. Uh, um, uh, uh, going to a some sort of rock event, you get on a bus, you go. You know, um, you uh, when you go on a Greyhound bus, it has to be some guy that comes on, or a woman comes on with a guitar, and you know. But, so, so it's 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 like uh, an American Americana uh, rarefication of highway guitar rebelliousness. And uh, all, all wrapped up in once. And I wanted the guitar to be solo. What a kind of a solo guitar can do, amplified uh, in terms of music, lyrical ni- lines, not just fuzz or uh, noise or just just expansive lyrical long lines of guitar uh, uh, sonorities. Where did you record that? In New York at Manhattan Center. Oh, nice. Uh, and I did a, a fair amount of like 20 or 30 movies in the Manhattan Center. And uh, yeah. out in Los Angeles, I really love uh, Sony. Everybody Elliot, does. Is there is there a moment that you can share with us where you overcame a big problem and, and it sticks with you something where you, you ran into a huge roadblock and you were able to overcome it and, and make things happen. Cause when we, when you finish a film, we get 
this beautiful piece, but we know that it's never perfect going through it. Is there something that sticks out to you over your career where you're, you're proud of something that you overcame like that? You know, which uh, feels like everything is, uh, um, um, you know, an obstacle you have to uh, overcome. You know, um, it's always difficult. You know, you, you sit down to a movie, uh, a new uh, mo- movie, and it's like, oh, my God, this is so difficult. What am I going to do? You know, always that way. You what know? do you do next when you hear that voice in your head say, because I don't know any artist that wouldn't say, I can't do this, they got the wrong guy. But there's always some kind of system or technique that artists have. What is yours for when you look at the picture and you think, this is so difficult. Do you just start noodling? My or do you technique, take a night walk? No, my technique is <laughs> um, is uh, to watch the uh, actor's eyes and see what's behind the eyes. See what the machinations. At one point, the uh, director, um, sorry, the the an actor snaps into the decision. It is something in uh, an actor's eyes that tells you what's going on. Uh, and uh, if you can uh, be a part of that, and uh, that that starts something. And also in, uh, in Alien 3, for example, I didn't have that as much, but uh, David Fincher said something to me. Is uh, He said, when you walk into a room in my movie, I want you to pe- feel immediately fucked. You know. <laughs> so, Love so that. I said, I see. So, so um, um, I, I wanted to uh, compose the rooms, the uh, the space around the actors, not so much the actors, but the environment. So you say, like, uh. What's that? I hear something. Don't you hear that? Oh, Mm. man. I just heard something, didn't you? No, I didn't hear anything. Oh, yes. You know? It's something like that, and that that was the key into that. What a great note. I mean, it just say it's dread. It's the unknown. That's right. That's right. And uh, and the other thing in in that picture... um, I wanted to use um, uh, a boy soprano. Um, uh, the the, uh, the very very um, vulnerable child. Hmm. The idea of uh, and 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 I also you wanted to use a regular old piano, uh, uh, and because a piano reminds you of um, domestic experience, life on earth. And, uh, and a child uh, connects us to all our own v- vulnerabilities. So I wanted that to play along with a very, very, very um, uh, sometimes dissonant and scary orchestral uh, uh, music around you. I'm trying to think. I've listened to so much of your music over the last few weeks. Which score it felt like had almost a slightly detuned piano, kind of out of tune. And it might have been Aliens that, as much as it was domestic, it made me a little uncomfortable. And I, I can't remember where it was. And it it might have just been a cue and 
Frida that was like a piano playing along, but I remember thinking, this isn't like a Steinway concert grand. This is a feeling of a little bit of a rickety, just like you said, a spin it. I wonder what brand spin it. Do you know? This is a personal question. Do I had in my house? That you had growing up. Do you remember? It was, was a it weird uh, brand. It e- was called Everett? Gulbranson. It was uh, okay. Gulbranson. Weird. Yep. Yeah. I just. Uh, uh, but um, I, I often l- like to do that uh, detuning string instruments. Uh, mm. Piano was a string instrument. Yeah. And uh, uh, if you listen to. Uh, the Beatles, for example, became mine. Uh, my experience with uh, across the universe. I, I, I thought about this uh, a great deal. Uh, if you listen to them, they knew how to tune their guitars quite well. If they, you know, if we wanted to tune it with uh, electronic tuners and tuning forks, but they didn't. They uh, loved the, uh, the the beats and the the, uh, the, the conflict between the strings when it is slightly out of tune, mm. sometimes very out of tune. And, and, and uh, uh, the, the out of tuneness, or I shouldn't say that, that's, uh, um, uh, uh, I would say the creative use of tuning in, in, the, in the Beatles as a band was unbelievable. And I found some of the greatest music is not really in tune uh, to our uh, te- tempered tuning. So sometimes I, I, I detune a piano or I compose the same, uh, I record the same um, notes on two different pianos at the same time, playing the same notes. So, so, so there's um, a rub, a sonic rub. That, That's uh, fascinating. That is know, amazing. It also reminds me, the first time that I played a Beatles, it probably was a cassette or an 8-track, in my car, and I heard John Lennon on two sides coming out of the door speakers in a doubled vocal, and they weren't in tune. And I thought, yes. I've always listened to this, you know, mono or whatever it was, or and never realized that not only did they not really mix it, but he didn't sing great with himself, and yet the rub of those two vocals next to each other is and, so... And, and, and yet, the same uh, four guys, if they wanted to harmonize <laughs> perfectly, they harmonize perfectly in tune, absolutely, absolutely totally locked in. And live, in, 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 in the uh, studio, they know exactly what they were doing in terms of pitch. Yeah. Calculated detuning. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. But more like this is music, you know. Yeah. You don't listen to John Coltrane and 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 build those bands and say, you know, come on, uh, you know, push the read in a little bit, you know. The remarkable thing about listening to so many of those other artists who didn't have the the ability to comp vocals or tune vocals, how phenomenally in tune they were organically when they recorded. That's one of my favorite things to hear about live recording. And the Beatles at Shea Stadium, as much as they're screaming, you listen to the vocals, exactly what you just said, Elliot. They are in tune, as are you, my friend. You are an in-tune human being. (laughs) Truly, 
truly one of the great. We are so lucky to have LA. This hour flew by. I mean, one of the we had so much stuff to. T- I mean, we we got to do a round two sometime in the future. But we really appreciate your time, Elliot. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, it went by fast. It and, did. Uh, and Squib, um, uh, Squib Knock, it's lucky to have you in the neighborhood. That's all I can say. Uh, a quick reminder to our listeners, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Score the Podcast, Instagram, Score Movie, Facebook, Score a Film Music Documentary. Don't forget to s- subscribe to more Score, exclusive interviews, merch, all the good stuff that you won't get here on the show. And stick around after the show today. We're going to play you a clip from Spitfire Audio where you can hear some of the different sounds to elevate your music robert take it away man to elevate and elliot your music that's what we got today i want to just thank elliot one of my heroes and inspirations elliot i'm just it's just fascinating to talk to you man because you are truly a titan in our field and i know that a lot of the score listeners have been very eager to have you as a guest they've requested you so maestro many see you see you folks see you Robert. yeah bye Hey, SCORE listeners, we are so grateful for the support of Spitfire Audio. They collaborate with people like Hans Zimmer and the Bernard Herman Estate to build sample libraries that elevate your music, and you're about to hear a demo of what that sounds like. And remember, if you like what you hear, which I guarantee you will, as an exclusive to SCORE listeners, Spitfire is offering 25% off your first order using the promo code SCORE. 2021 that's exclusive to score the podcast listeners that's pretty nice i mean that's just like a it's a total hookup it's a it it is a gift uh right now we're going to play you a demo cue of one of their great packages this is the i had it written down here i want to make sure we say the right strings package the Spitfire Symphonic Strings Professional. I like to call it the Triple S, the Spitfire Symphonic Strings right Professional Package. Uh, check out this demo cue, and if you like what you hear, you can save 25%. Check it out.
Again, if you want to get a package from Spitfire Audio and it's your first time purchasing, use the promo code SCORE2021, save 25%. I think we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Can't wait. We have another great guest coming up. 